turned 34 yesterday, guys, on Tuesday, and I woke up this morning, and I really am not exaggerating, and I know that I can be theatrical at times, but this is actually the truth. My lower back hurt. I didn't work <laughs> out yesterday, and, like, I feel like I'm old now, and, like, it happened immediately. Like, I fell off a cliff. Like, I turned 34. My life is over. Like, all my bones are creaking when I get out of bed. Like, I feel like it's all downhill from here. Let me guess. Doctor said you need a bacchiotomy. And, and then, and that's the case. I'm not going to call the doctor. I'm going to call Samson and tell him to fly me to the moon. <laughs> he slept with my mama. You're talking about a movie that got me through the tail end of high school and those late nights in college, where you're, you know, a little, uh, you're, you're more in the mindset of what they are in the movie than you would be otherwise. So what Silver King may or may, not, may or may not be saying is that he may or may not have imbibed at some point with the the sticky icky at some point in his college career, may or may not. Now, I am not putting those words in his mouth. I personally don't think that he did because I know the Silver King and he's a stand-up guy and he would never do something like that, Bri. Yeah, as incriminating as that sound, I know him personally. He's never inhaled and he did not have relations with that women. But enough of that. Hit me with my theme song. Welcome into In This Corner with Brian Campbell. This is the WWE edition. I am handsome Nick Costos, as you heard to open the show. I just celebrated my 34th birthday, and I'm feeling pretty damn good. I went car shopping this weekend. You know what I looked at? Mercedes-Benz. Do you know why? Because I get paid a lot of money to talk about sports, and I'm wearing a compression shirt right now, and my muscles look pretty good, as my fellas can attest. And they are my tag team partners. My first tag team partner he is the man. He is the myth. He is the legend. He is the Silver King. He hasn't been that domineering recently, and we give him a lot of credit for that. Adam Silverstein, Silver King, how we doing today, buddy? Hey, now. And my other tag team partner. He is the name on the marquee. Come on. He is the man with all the energy. Let's go. He is the main event. Bring it. He's the icon. Stay hyped. He's the showstopper. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Hit me with it. He is the mast that guides the cast. Come on. He's graceful. He's suave. He's debonair and hot damn. He's got a really nice head of hair. Bring it. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the podcast. Do yourself a favor and get some of this. And Nick, before I even tell them, that compression shirt, a boy's medium, just so everybody out there listening can, can, can visualize it. But we got another big show planned for you while we slide into your gym bag with an unmarked bottle of that performance-enhancing audio. It's the untraceable kind, guaranteed to speed up your recovery and get you juiced about pro wrestling or your money back. And speaking of compensation, it's a two-way street here on In This Corner. We provide the audio. You provide the time in your week to hear it. It's a perfect consummation. But you need to do one better for us this week. So if you see something, if you hear something that you like, then it's time to say something. Head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. Be sure to check out our WWE Extreme Rules Instant Analysis Show from Monday. Check out our In This Corner Boxing Edition with an interview with Andre Ward earlier this week. But without further ado, it's time to get this party started. DM slides will be a plenty, and the Silver King will reign. Plus, we got a new segment to, to bring you later in the show. So let me hand the keys back to the most passionate man in North America. 
America, who's recording live from the Sunshine State. Nick, just so the ladies out there listening know, what part of Florida are you in again? I am in sunny uh, Fort Lauderdale, even though it's been raining for the past week. And for those of you that live by Las Olas Boulevard, feel free to give a little slide into my DMs as I am just a two-minute walk uh, from Las Olas Boulevard. Uh, Thank you, you very much. Us. You failed us. There was only one correct answer to that question. Hit me with it, Silver King. I actually don't know what you're talking about. So you'll have... Right near the beach. Oh, oh boy. Got me, got no, me. but that's that's Jamaica. That's they have big yeah, reference. That's not, not South Florida. Florida. Yeah. It's hey, not... hey, come on. There's islands. There's there's the coast. There's a beach. It's all the Th- same. This is what we get when we get a guy from Connecticut trying to make references about South Florida. Yeah, and it goes, Samson goes, what part of the beach are you from? That's just an absolutely legendary movie. And how about a legendary segment this week, guys, on Monday Night Raw? That is not hyperbole. As we open up the show, as we always do, with the main event. And I've legitimately, seriously, I have goosebumps right now as I'm about to introduce our first topic. What an unbelievable segment on Monday Night Raw with Samoa Joe and Paul Heyman hyping up the Universal Championship match between Joe and Brock Lesnar coming up at Great Balls of Fire. We're going to delve into the entire thing here, and I'm just going to say this right now. If we were giving out our fuel spots right now, we would all choose this. So We're going to choose three different things here, but this was the best thing on WWE programming this week and the best thing that I personally have seen in quite some time. Let's get right into it, and we start with the Brian Campbell. Look, Nick, you want to talk about paving the road to Great Balls of Fire, and I know it's a ridiculous name, and by the way, the hashtag WWE Balls, that's the right way to go from here until July 9th, but if you want to pave that road and bang those balls and bang it with a a giant bang, that's the way you do it. I'm not going to break down each of the specifics, because I know my guy, the Silver King, is so fired up, I'm going to actually hand him the baton earlier than normal here. I just want to say this. The reason why this works so much, the reason why it fired us up so much, it goes back to when Samoa Joe debuted on the main roster just what a month and a half ago two months ago nobody else is allowed to talk like a real bad person in real life on on WWE's programming instead of him and the fact that the trash talk feels real is delivered in a real style that I use that word a lot underwritten underwritten writes the segment with realism it's not you know characters and tv characters and bad guys and wrestling it feels real and it created a believable culture where you can allow Brock Lesnar to subtly slide back into the babyface role because we now have a villain a heel who is physically challenging enough to actually play the hero heel role against him and when you get that it's magic silver king just just pop for us all right now guys it shook my nerves it rattled my brain i loved it so much it drove this man insane Goodness gracious, I am all here. I am all here for Samoa Joe, Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. I could not be more excited for a match than this one. It was nuclear hot on Raw. I have not seen them do anything like this in years, and it was the best segment of 2017 so far, and that includes Braun Strowman absolutely laying out Roman Reigns, which we all popped for in a major way. Look, Paul Heyman is a maestro. He is, there's, there's no question in my mind that he set up this entire segment. He, he, he did his part. He probably helped Joe set up his part. Not that Joe necessarily needs the help, but you could tell that Paul Heyman's fingerprints were all over this thing. Joe showed more range in that segment, 
short segment, and more range off the mic in that segment than he has through his entire WWE run and maybe his entire career. I don't know his breadth of work in TNA and you know overseas and so on like other people do, like you do, Brian. But it was tremendous. I loved it. I popped in a major way for it. I think there are really only six words that we could use to describe the segment on Monday night. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Oh my God, that was awesome. Now I'm going to take you through the timeline of a mark right now because it really turned me into a mark and I marked out several times on my couch during the course of this one segment. First off, the Samoa Joe promo was absolutely outstanding, right? And he calls out Paul Heyman a couple times and he's saying, I would like for Paul Heyman to be my advocate. And when I heard Paul Heyman's voice, ladies and gentlemen, and he's not on camera, obviously, you just hear his voice. I literally squealed like a little schoolgirl. I was like, yes, this is great. <laughs> so Heyman comes out and I'm like, oh my God, this is unbelievable, right? So Heyman comes out and cuts his promo and then Joe does the thing where he pushes him into the corner and there's no microphone there, right? But the camera's right there, which I thought was a nice little touch of realism. And Joe says to him, I'm about to do something really bad to you. And then there was probably about 30 seconds where Joe was talking to him before the bad thing happened, where you are anticipating the bad thing that's going to happen. And Joe is stroking his face lovingly as he's talking to him about it before he puts him in the coquina clutch. Absolutely nuclear heat. Two final yeah, Nick, things on this for me. But true yeah. or false, real quick, dialogue-wise, that's that's kind of sounds like 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 you at the end of a Saturday night, delivering those same kind of words, maybe stroking. I, I'm not, Maybe I'm going too far right now. You're not going too far. I am actually known for that move. I don't know if I do like a full like hand caress on the face, but you have to do like a little face caress while making eye contact while you're saying something ridiculous to get your point across to a woman down by the beach, boy, on a Saturday <laughs> night in South Florida. Two final notes for me on this. Number one, uh, Silver King, you are 100% right. I was actually going to make that point. I said it on the Instant Analysis Pod Extreme Rules that – I wasn't sure like what Joe could really bring, right? Because all we had seen him do was be sort of this silent assassin. I'm not a big TNA guy. I'm a WWE guy. But that's why I guess people are really excited about Samoa Joe because that was absolutely unbelievable. And how about a piece of improvisational genius from Samoa Joe when the crowd starts chanting, we want Brock, the desired reaction. So people are going to be hot at Great Balls of Fire to see Brock beat Joe, hot on Raw next week when Brock comes back. And Joe takes the mic and goes, so do I. Oh my God, oh, yeah. that was unbelievably awesome. You know, that was so good. And this is something I said in my uh, recap uh, article Monday night directly after Raw is that it didn't have to be this good, right? Like Joe Lesnar, we're already sold. We know the physicality that's coming. Really, if we're honest, in this part-time role, all Brock has to do is show up or threaten to show up on Raw. We're happy no matter what. We're going to get Heyman. We're going to get good stuff. The fact that they went to this detail to announce this is really what was the anchor in this being a comeback Raw episode. This was a fantastic Raw episode. Uh, arguably one of the best Raw episodes of the year at, at, you know, as we approach the halfway point of the year. It, it, I thought it started a little bit slow, but it just swelled from there and went hot fire at the very least across like the middle 90 minutes of the show. But one, uh, one thing I will say against Silver King's point, and I love listening to him pop, I, this may have been the second or third best segment of the year. It's going to be hard to top the energy of that February 13th Raw episode from Vegas during the WrestleMania build where you saw Bailey go over Charlotte in the main event to win the belt, but you saw the Festival of Friendship segment in the middle. To me, that's still the high, high watermark for Raw or SmackDown this year, but hell yeah, was this a great segment. We've seen the Festival of Friendship type segments before. We've seen... 
women's title victories and other title victories, big ones, on Monday Night Raw. We have never seen something, or not never seen, but haven't seen in an extremely long time, something like we saw Monday night, especially involving someone like Samoa Joe, who just simply hasn't, he doesn't have a long history in WWE. He just got called up a few months ago. I am. I know you said we're not all tired of Brock Lesnar, and anytime he shows up, we're happy. I'm not. Honestly, I'm tired of Brock Lesnar. I, he's great. I love watching him in the ring when he's in his match, but all the other stuff annoys me. Him not being on Raw since winning the Universal title at WrestleMania in early April. It's June, guys. We have not seen Brock Lesnar, okay? So I'm tired of him. This made me happy to see Brock Lesnar return next week. So this connected to at least one fan who is tired and, you know what, also wasn't totally buying, oh, all of a sudden Brock's going to be a face because he's going to be against Samoa Joe now. No, now he's a face because we love Paul Heyman, the crowd loves Paul Heyman, and Samoa Joe did the one thing that no one should do, which is put hands on Paul Heyman because the crowd's going to react to it. And this really is why professional wrestling is so great, guys, because beauty is truly in the eye of the beholder. I think everyone likes different things. So I disagree with Silver King on his take on Brock, but it, but I mean, he makes valid points as to why he feels that way. And Bry, you know, the Festival of Friendship was great, and I'm not poo-pooing that in the slightest because I popped during that segment. But for me, this was better than that because this was violent, this was edgy, and Adam's right. We haven't seen something really like this, I think, in quite some time. And I think you can maybe point to, like, the Braun Reigns thing. But that was even, like, a little pro-wrestling hokey, right? When, like, he throws him off the uh, off the ramp, like, and had a little bit of suspension of disbelief there. This was just raw, and it was real, and it was... It was really damn good, and, I, and it really did hit me in the feel spot, and it's moments like that that make you feel proud to be a fan of professional wrestling. When they take you from hardened, wizened 34-year-old and turn you into a squealing 8-year-old like they did on Monday yeah. night with when, yours truly, they, so that was great. When they tease the hashtag WWE balls, you are onto something. It's raw on raw. Love it. Yeah, and by the way, and speaking of Raw, and speaking of Great Balls of Fire, how about the phallic nature of the Great Balls of Fire logo? We will move past that and move on to the second portion of our main event. And that was the main event, guys, on SmackDown Live on Tuesday night. BC, how about Shinsuke Nakamura going over Kevin Owens clean again? Nakamura now 4-0 on the main roster. All right, I want to actually separate my analysis from what actually happened and the idea that 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 Shinsuke is now 4-0, the idea that Kevin Owens, you know, was pinned cleanly again. That's a separate argument. You guys can take the wheel on that. I want to just talk about Shinsuke on SmackDown as a whole. You know what this is? This is a pleasant surprise because... He Yes, we still have to deal with the freaking artist labels and watching somebody paint an actual painting of him during a promo they did. Yes, we got to deal with this rock star crap where, let me reiterate that point I made a couple weeks ago, he's not a rock star. The only guy with a, with a gripe who should be a rock star is, is Jinder Mahal, of all people, who was actually in, in the rock star gimmick with Heath Slater. Separate that for a moment. WWE has pretty much come full circle, fixed the main roster gimmick issues I had with Shinsuke for the most part. And I thought that this week was the best presentation of Shinsuke overall on the main roster from the entrance to his mannerisms, to specifically his in-ring work. It was stiff. It was strong. It was solid. You saw some of the things you love about him with the hand gestures, but I guess maybe it was not giving him too long on the mic to sort of be too goofy. They pulled back on that, and I saw, I got to a spot 
spot where I'm happy. I'm not complaining anymore. This was the Shinsuke I wanted all along. And I know some people disputed me on Twitter two weeks ago, but I'm right. He is much more muscular defined in the upper body than he was at NXT or in Japan. And I think that's a Vince order. And I think personally, that's the reason why he wasn't on TV for a few weeks after he initially debuted. He's fuller in the, in the chest and back and in the arms, and he looks better. And I like the Shinsuke I'm seeing right now. I'll leave it up to you guys to talk about what I don't like, which is a champion getting pinned cleanly in a non-title fight. That stuff makes me mad. But Shinsuke, he's back. I'm happy again. Well, Nakamura now, BC, almost as muscular as yours truly in my uh, my men's medium shirt here from H&M, my compression shirt. But uh, I actually have no issue with Owens losing clean a couple times to Nakamura because they're, they're feeding him to Nakamura because they need to build up Nakamura. And in the end, Kevin Owens will get his heat back. I don't really think it hurts KO at all. I don't think it hurts the United States Championship at all here. I will take umbrage with one thing that you said, and I thought the match was pretty good. I mean, how could it not be good? Two good workers in the ring, give him 15 minutes, the match is going to be good. I still don't love the presentation of his character, and I'm worried that he's never going to really fully connect with the WWE audience that he did with the NXT audience. And I think they are two entirely wholly different audiences. And I think sort of the indication that you get that that's the case, and I think that WWE might be concerned about Shinsuke, when they do things like have Sami Zayn cut a backstage promo. And Sami Zayn's going, he's the most charismatic man, and he's doing the imitations of, of the hand signals. Like, they would feel no need to reinforce it if they felt like it were already there. Like, why do they need to send someone out there? It's like when 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 uh, Michael Cole's going, Rich Swan, he's a really fun guy. Like, if the fans felt that way, there would be no need to hit them over the head with it. It's like we're hitting people over the head with, Shinsuke's got all this charisma. Everybody loves Shinsuke Nakamura. You know what? I'll be honest. I don't love Shinsuke Nakamura. I think he's pretty good. I liked him better on NXT. Silver King, I'm worried that they are dropping the ball. And I'm even going to say it right now. I think they have officially dropped the ball with Nakamura. Maybe they could pick it back up, but I don't like the way the direction his character is moving in. Yeah, they have. There's two sides to this. You know, on one side of it, we have to give WWE some credit because they're bringing in Shinsuke Nakamura and they're trying to put him over as the star of SmackDown. And that's not a move they would have done a couple years ago, five years ago, really ever. So they get credit for that. The problem is the way that they're going about doing it. They treat, WWE often treats fans like they're idiots or that they just can't accept, you know, a guy having a really unique personality and kind of letting it develop on its own. So what they're doing is they're force feeding it down our throats. They referred to him going to the ring. I think this was the first time they introduced the artist known as Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, they've called him that on commentary, and they've put it in promos and stuff, but they've never introduced him to the ring like that. They did drop the quote-unquote rock star thing this week. Fine. But guys, he already had a nickname, King of Strong Style. People want to know what that is. It, con it connotates toughness, uh, connotes toughness. He's a rough guy. They're trying to just play up this charisma and stuff, and it just doesn't work for him. So I give them credit for it. Like, at least they're trying something with Nakamura. They're just going in the totally wrong direction, which is kind of surprising for SmackDown because he was brought to that show because they do good things. They built up uh, AJ Styles correctly. They're doing really good stuff with Jinder. I mean, love it or, or hate it, they're giving him an opportunity. They've shown some stuff in the tag team division. So SmackDown's booking has been really good, but what they're doing with Nakamura just doesn't work. I also love how with BC always goes to the musculature. Like, at some point when we're talking about a guy, the musculature's coming up. In this case, he happens to be right, because Nakamura looks a hell of a lot better than he did on uh, NXT. There's no question. Um, and re regarding Owens, look, I don't mind him going over. Nick's right. The heat, he can get that heat back. You know, Owens is a guy who can lose to anyone at any time or win any match at any time, and it really doesn't matter. It's the overall presentation that bothers me.
One counterpoint, though, to to not being upset about Owens with the title going over clean is this was a non-title match, and this is what angers me a lot about WWE is the lack of explanation that they're at, that look it's fake sports. We know it's fake sports, but it's a presentation of real fighting. It's almost a presentation of MMA in a sense. We want to believe as fans that there's a real ranking system, there's a real order to how you get title shots, to how you earn things. You would think. This should have been a title shot for Shinsuke, right? I get why they didn't do it. It's a showcase opportunity to put him over. It doesn't hurt KO in the long run. But he just won a non-title match, and there's no talk of, oh, wow, he looked great. Next week, he deserves a title match. There's none of that. Yet on Raw, Nia Jax just gets handed a title shot, really, for no reason. And you see that happen again and again, where anyone can backdoor into a title shot, either by attacking somebody or tricking them in an interview segment. I just wish there was a little bit more protection of the title and protection of the title is to make it feel like a real sport because you don't want to see your titleist look bad until they have to look bad when they have to give up that belt. That's just my two cents. Oh, BC, you just rolled out the red carpet of segue for yours truly. Speaking of backing into a title shot, we now move on to hero or zero. And with that, I turn the reins over to the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Guys, I'm sure we all popped in some way for the return of Lana in the blue e- in the blue sequin evening gown. Goodness gracious, great balls <laughs> of fire. She looked great on stage. In the ring, eh, not so much. Beginning of SmackDown, they have Lana come out and demand a women's championship match against Naomi. Actually, first she demanded in the Money in the Bank match. Everyone laughed at her. Then she demanded a women's championship match. Everyone laughed at her. What do you think about Lana's return and her actually getting a women's championship match? Brian, talk to me, hero or zero? A gigantic fat zero. And guess what this really means, guys? It means the Emelina gimmick has now ruined the careers of two women who I really liked. First, Emma, because they they half-stepped it and brought her out and pulled the plug before the segment was even over. They pulled the plug, and now this Lana-Lena, Emelina gimmick has ruined Lana. I don't think I'm going overboard. I'm really upset by this. Forget even for a second how absurd it is that she would walk out with no wrestling experience, demand a title shot, and then trick your actual champion into giving her one, even though, yes, they covered themselves up on Talking Smack by having Shane tell Lana straight up, you don't deserve this title shot. I get that. I get the reality that Naomi is going to be – doesn't have anything to do while these Money in the Bank women sort of wrestle each other for the next two weeks. I get all of that. But here's the big deal. You've ruined Lana by letting her do this, by extending into this area. Her only prior experience was that – WrestleMania 32 pre-show match when it was like a four-on-four women's match. It was basically a Total Divas infomercial. She looked awful in that. She's not a wrestler. I know she's done some NXT house shows during this run to get ready. She is not a wrestler, but you know what she is? She's the best valet in the damn company. And in an era where managers and valets are not a thing for the most part, you see the success Maurice has, but it's rare. She is the best of the bunch. There's a conversation we can't have on air because it's probably not PC, not demeaning to women, but heterosexual males that watch WWE see the attractiveness of women and sometimes say, hey, who do you think are like the five hottest women in order? Some people on this podcast may have had that conversation or two during WrestleMania weekend. Lana, a very attractive hot woman, a perfect valet who offsets what Rusev can't do perfectly. Now you're separating her from Rusev and you're going to make her a wrestler where it's just not going to work. It's only going to bring down her value, not increase it. Completely against it, it's a zero. Bri, can I ask you a question, bud? 
Are you yeah, feeling yeah, all yeah, right, yeah. Brian? I'm sorry, I'm fuming right here. All right, trying are, to fan down the hashtag WB balls. All right, come no, on. No, no, but I'm, I'm asking though. Like, do you feel okay? Like, are you really with us today? Like, or do you feel good? Are you feeling okay? I'm asking. <laughs> I feel good. I feel good. I'm ready. I'm not sure that you do. I'm not sure that you are mentally with us right now, buddy. Because you say that they ruined Lana. Were you aware that of every woman that was in the ring at the beginning of SmackDown Live on Tuesday night, who got the most heat, and it wasn't even close? It was Lana. The heat for Lana drowned out that of the women's champion, Naomi. It drowned out the heat for Becky Lynch, who's a fan favorite. And it even drowned out the heat for Charlotte Flair. A huge We Want Lana chant. Like, did you hear the chant? Like, were you watching on mute? I'm not so sure what happened, buddy, because the fans love Lana. I love Lana. I thought this was awesome. I love having Lana back in my life. She looked great in the dress. Sashays down to the ring and, and, and looking resplendent in blue. The crowd pops and goes crazy for her. I'm shocked that you think this was a zero and that you're so strongly on, on that one side. I'm strong on the other side here. Let's give the fans what we want. And you know what we want, BC? We want Lana. We want Lana, buddy, and we got Lana. How come you don't like it? Because it's, it, it has the potential to be too much of a good thing because she's great at her role next to Rusev. She's impeccable at that role. I don't think she will be impeccable as a wrestler. And then you bleed into that other side of the conversation. And granted, we don't know how the storyline is going to end. But you bleed into that other conversation of how somebody who doesn't even have a match is going to walk into a title shot. I'll give her room to surprise me because I like her as a talent. I like her as a personality. But... I just can't imagine she's going to look good wrestling. That's the thing. It all comes down to what she does in the ring, and that is an unknown quantity right now. Up next here on Hero or Zero, we got some extension in the Enzo Amore, Big Cass, whodunit angle. Guys, it took a new turn on Raw with Cass getting attacked. Enzo winds up teaming with the Big Show, which I thought went over pretty well, but got Cass pretty jealous. Hero or Zero, Nick on the new angle or the new direction, let's say, of the whodunit angle. I think that this can only be a hero because it added a new wrinkle to it, like you said. And for the the the, the truthers like me that think it was Cass that did it, it adds a little bit of doubt to it now. Now, I will say that I still think that it was Cass and that I think that this was an elaborate ruse here to throw Enzo off the trail. So I still think that it was Cass. I'm still going to hold strong on that. But it at least plants a seed of doubt into your head, right? And the other seed of doubt, and you referenced it, Adam, is the fact that Enzo goes out there with Big Show. Big Show does Cass's, does his shtick, right? They get over, they get a ton of heat, and Enzo's celebrating with him after the match. Now, if I'm Big Cass, I'm asking myself, hey, when my partner got attacked the last two weeks, I wasn't happy. I wasn't jumping around. I wasn't high-fiving people. I wasn't looking like this was the best thing that ever happened to me. So they did give you a little bit of doubt as, as to where this storyline's going here, and that's always a good thing. You never want it to be too obvious. Like I said, I still think it was Cass, but I thought that they executed this pretty well, a new layer to the storyline, so it's a hero for me. Yeah, I can only add a little bit just by saying hero for me for, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. The fact that I've got a couple different conspiracy theories of how they could book this now, and that's a good spot. You want to have a couple different ways and angles it can go. You still don't know what what factor Kurt Angle and Corey Graves have in the equation. So the fact that they're stretching it out, I'm not getting bored. 
because the addition of Big Show, it would make sense, even though it feels like they set it up to feel obvious. If it was Big Show, who doesn't have anything else going for him and is in big shape and is in good shape, it would be a good setup if you wanted to do a cast Big Show angle where Cass is protecting Enzo and it would allow Cass to get some shine on the singles level to see if Vince is ready to finally give him that push. But there's too many other wrinkles, like you mentioned, Nick, where they're teasing a lot, and I'm happy with it. I just... I just want to see where it goes. I'm down. Hero. You know, I, I don't know why you guys are still talking about Graves and Angle being in this. I really think it's a completely separate storyline, and I think that's a good thing. I just think they used Graves twice that first week, and since then it's been completely divergent. Moving on, number three, Hero or Zero. The Miz is the new Intercontinental Champion. He's a seven-time Intercontinental Champion, and this time he's got a little paranoia with Dean Ambrose. What did you think of the Miz kickoff celebration uh, whole situation. Let's go from Maurice's reaction, Miz, everything, Brian. Tell me, hero or zero? I'm going to give it a hero, and I'm going to say that there, there's some tightrope walking that needed to be done because these type of things have the potential to fall apart or where half of it's funny, the other half is a train wreck. I actually think they held it off top to bottom. It was one of the better moments of Raw this week. It was it was a big part of why I thought Raw was so damn good this week. I thought it really extended the energy because every time I thought this segment was going to fall apart, Miz just took it to another level. And I could break down each of the segments and say what I liked or didn't like or how it's actually making Ambrose look really good. It's using the best parts about Ambrose and not showcasing the annoying side of him. But the real overall message that it conveyed to me is this is the right direction to put a title on Miz to make him important because there's very few people in the company, and we talk about this a lot, who you can just roll out the balls and say, here's a really bad written segment. Go make it work, right? The New Day had a year where they were making magic happen. There's very few guys who can pull it off. Jericho is obviously one of them. The Miz is one of them. This was fantastic. It's a hero. It was it was really good. It, it really was a hero. And there were some really classic one-liners in this also, right? After the Miz hits the uh, the dancing pair with the skull-crushing finale, pulls the head off, and it's not Dean Ambrose. And he goes, well, kid, at least you could say you got beat up by the Intercontinental Champion. Like, that was great. You had the, the, the Marie slide with the grandfather clock. It's timeless, just like you. And then she walks out as he looks devastated afterwards. This was really well done. And, and Brian, I want to support something you said with the tightrope walk, right? When sometimes you have segments like this and it can go poorly. I thought WWE did, did it really well in two separate occasions on Raw. Number one was when Kurt Angle and Alexa Bliss, and we're just going to touch on this quickly, when Bliss goes, let's do it, this is your life, Alexa Bliss, and Angle goes in deadpan. That was one of the worst segments we've ever done last week, like a nod to the people that hated it. <laughs> that was great. And then, like, it avoided the pitfalls that segments like this normally fall into, right? Because we're all jaded wrestling fans, veteran fans, right? So when we see the dancing bear out there, the first thing you think is, okay, it's obviously going to be Ambrose and he's going to attack him. And they thought about that in advance and said, all right, we're going to swerve the audience. We're going to swerve the, the smart fans here. And they did that pretty well here and left you wondering what was going to happen next when Ambrose, if Ambrose, was actually going to come out. Excellent work from Ambrose. Superb work by The Miz. Maurice was very good. It was funny. It, it hit me in the feel spot. A major, major, major hero for yours truly. And just real quick, you mentioned that grandfather clock line. It was fantastic. Don't forget that line, too, where Miz said, hey, everybody, raise your glasses. Or actually, for, for you people, raise your red cup. Little things like that is just, you know, I've been in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, right? I lived around there for a year. That's a red solo cup area. Well done, Miz. You know, you you guys need to know I'm grading this thing, and you guys just went through maybe the second best segment on Raw, on Raw without mentioning the best line that The Miz delivered when the crowd chanted, you deserve it, with him winning the Intercontinental right. title. Yeah. And he said, hey, you know what, guys? It would be a lot more effective if you didn't chant it to every single person that got a new crown. 
That that was the line, and that's why that segment was so good. Number four here on Hero or Zero, Nick, you and I, we watch the challenge. We probably have maybe every single challenge. I know I have. We also have watched wrestling most of our lives. And this year on the challenge, Champs versus Pros, we have CM Punk. Nick, Hero or Zero, not just CM Punk being on the show, but how he's been on the show. All right, I sort of want to set the stage for what the Silver King's talking about here, right? So Challenge is a show on MTV that's generally comprised of past contestants on the real world and Road Rules. Road Rules obviously doesn't exist anymore, so now they get taken from other MTV reality shows. Um, it's really fantastic. If you're a wrestling fan, I think chances are that that you would really like it. And I've been watching it for 2017. I've been watching it probably for 17 years now since I was in college, since my freshman year of college. And it's great. So they are doing, as Silver King said, a pros versus champs, right? Champs meaning former challenge champions who are just like regular people who have won the game and actual real professional athletes. And one of the real professional athletes is CM Punk. So I watch this on Tuesday nights, right? And I see CM Punk and he's great. And he's great because he's CM Punk and CM Punk's also great. And it legitimately hurts my feelings. And I don't know if it's Vince or if it's Triple H or if it's Punk himself, but the fact that CM Punk's not in WWE is such a disservice to not just wrestling fans, but to CM Punk himself and the WWE because he's so damn good. And the reasons why he's not there is something that pride has gotten in the way of. And it's such a waste of CM Punk to be on the show. And look, I don't know if CM Punk listens to wrestling podcasts. I am a huge CM Punk fan. I'm not hating on the guy. I want him back in my life on Mondays or Tuesday nights and on a Sunday night once a month. I want you back, CM. Phil Brooks, come back to us, buddy. Like Vince McMahon and Triple H and CM Punk. Do what you got to do to bury the hatchet because it's so bad that he's not there entertaining the fans because he would be a white hot star if he came back. He'd be one of the most over guys on the roster. Just come back where you belong. Come home, CM Punk. It's a zero for me, not because I don't like Punk, but because I love Punk, but because I want him back where he belongs in WWE. I had to make, I'm not watching this season because I had to make an important life decision, as you have to do with some shows a few years ago with this one. This is the, one of the more addictive pieces of television content ever created, this, this challenge franchise. It's fantastic. Along with the, the original, uh, Laguna Beach, I also had to give up at certain points. Hell yeah. It just, you know, it just became bad for my personal life. I had a big LC problem. But, uh, moving on (laughs) from that, uh, I did watch the one clip that went viral, so I can only speak to that, you know, and it's CM Punk getting talked down to by bananas, right? By by the professional reality show guy and just punking him out. And you get the ground rule. CM Punk can't strike him, right? Or he's thrown off the show. But holy crap, this is a zero because CM Punk, you look like a B. And here's the problem. There's two ways to respond to this because these challenge shows, they're reality TV. This is actually pro wrestling. Like these are, this is real life pro wrestling, these challenge shows. CM Punk, you're a professional pro wrestler in this smart tongued badass. You got punked down. You were unable to hang in a trash talk sense. So you didn't pretend like you were a pro wrestler and defeat the guy. And then the man side of you didn't step up and either knock the guy down or intimidate it for the comments he was saying that, you know, I could beat you up. You're not a real fighter. All that stuff. Huge zero. I didn't see any more than that clip. But in that clip, CM Punk got punked. And I thought his brand and his value kind of went down almost as bad as when he got destroyed in the cage in the UFC. 
And he, and that's really the problem, right? Is that Punk has set himself up for failure post-WWE because we made such a big deal about him going to the UFC. He gets embarrassed in his first, in his UFC match. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. The guy is not an MMA fighter. And there's there's nothing wrong with him losing. I would get knocked the hell, knocked out if I went into the octagon here. Stephanie coming out and making the joke about it the next night after it happened. Like, it's it's there's nothing for punk to say to johnny bananas what's he gonna say to him i'm rich bananas has got a lot of money what's he gonna say i have a hot wife bananas has got probably a pretty hot girlfriend there's nothing that punk can say anymore in that arena just come back cm phil come back to us buddy please and one more thing to add about how much is a zero you said it's fine you know he he's got more balls than us right he got into the cage and fought one problem with his ufc appearance he worked so damn hard after the fight to present himself as a babyface just because he took a chance. Guess what? He's a celebrity with connections who was allowed to get into a real UFC fight and he got beaten down bad. There was actually nothing baby-faced about that. CM Punk, you're a heel. You used your real-life heel celebrity connections to get into the cage and you looked really bad. There's not a good story that came out of that. And I think it's now time to slide into the DMs once we get the grade here for the Silver King. Hero versus Zero. Who do you like here, buddy? So, guys, the points on CM were both really, really good. I expected that to be a segment Nick was going to win. But, BC, you came back really strong. Yeah, he won. He, he, and he you know what? Because of that, I also gave you Lana, and I also gave you The Miz, which was really, really close. But we're going 2.5 to 1. 1.5. One, 1. BC, you're the winner this week. Here is I mean, zero. of course. I, I, I Silverstein, you, you, you added for the guy. You have to go with him here. I mean, this is a travesty. I went with you, you, you last week. You gave him a lot of points. I killed him on Lana. Hey, he gave me Lana, so now Rusev is no longer the only man that can have her. I'm holding it up to <laughs> Skype so you can see. The point was for Nick, and it moved over to BC when he came back with you there. So that's what happened, guys. You won last right. week, Nick. This time was BC. These are our Twitter addresses at B Campbell CBS at Silverstein Adam. I am at V Costos. We remind you to slide into our DMs each and every week with your questions. We will read them. We will answer them without further ado. Silver King, start us off. First up, we got Joe Ledwell at Bro Ledwell. This is a question we've been sitting on for three weeks because we wanted to give it the respect and the right amount of time to do it. Joe wants to know who is on each of our Mount Rushmore's of WWE beginning with the WrestleMania era until now. BC, let's start with you. Uh, guys, this is actually a really easy answer. I don't have to go long on this. By cutting it at the WrestleMania era, you you remove any sort of need to put like a Bruno San Martino or make arguments for guys of old. And by saying the language in the question, Mount Rushmore of WWE, it removes the need to try to fit Ric Flair in, right? Because his WWE run was so small and compared to what he did elsewhere. It's going to break down like this. You have your no-brainer up top, Hulk Hogan. You have your twin brothers, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. And for the fourth spot, you have maybe a controversial for you, not for me. You have Vince McMahon because it's a combination of his top, top, arguably greatest heel run of all time character. And then obviously his contributions to the business. And before Nick jumps down my throat, I'll just put my defense down right now just like this. 
In the end, guys, I love the in-ring workers. I love this Randy Savages, the Shawn Michaels, the Bret Hart. In the end, though, what really matters in this business is putting butts in seats. So, yes, I will favor the crossover superstars, the kind of people who host today's shows and host Saturday Night Lives. And, yes, I know John Cena was the one omission. He's number five on my Mount Rushmore. But that's the reason why your boyhood hard-ons of Bret Hart and those kind of guys are not on this Mount Rushmore because it's all about, in the end, selling and taking the business and taking it to a new level. That's why it's Togan, Rock, Austin, and Vinnie Mac. Well, my boyhood hard-on was for the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. He's not a sexy boy. He's not your boy toy. Um, I'm just going to move on here because this got really weird all of a sudden. And I love that <laughs> we uh, we like delayed doing this for a couple weeks because we thought it was going to be like a really time-consuming question. And Brian, you said this, and you said, I'm going to jump down your throat. I'm not going to jump down your throat because I agree with almost everything that you said. Um, my one disagreement, and I do have Vince, and I'm going to give you the three that I think are the absolute no-brainers. And I think, actually, you said Hogan's at the top. I think Vince McMahon's at the top. Like, without yep. Vince McMahon, the three of us are not sitting here talking right now. The man is a, a god on earth. He is the absolute best. Vince McMahon is the first face on the WWE Mount Rushmore. Then you obviously have Hulk Hogan. I think you obviously have Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I actually debated here, and I'm just going to flip your four and five. You have The Rock. I'm going to have John Cena as the fourth face on mine. Only because The Rock was never the biggest star when he was in WWE. Like, when Rock was at the height of his powers, so was Austin. And Austin was the bigger star, and Austin was the one that catapulted WWE past WCW in the Monday Night Wars here. It's not a, a, a knock on The Rock. The Rock is number five for me. But Cena has carried the company over the course of the last decade. He's been the face of the company. So that's my one point of contention. Otherwise, we've got exactly the same list. Mine, Vince McMahon. Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, John Cena. So for me, guys, Vince McMahon was an easy number one. I was getting worried, BC, when you didn't say Vince, your first three. I was like, he's not going to be on there. Did he not know we couldn't <laughs> do that it could be not just wrestlers? So Vince is number one. He's in the George Washington spot, like Nick said. My number two and three, I'm not going to go on. Same, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, we know this. My number four was a debate between two guys, and John Cena was not one of them. And that's not out of any disrespect for John Cena. But I looked at who is the guy that has carried WWE, not carried, but been a huge part of WWE's success since Hulk Hogan besides Austin. And there were two options for me. One was The Rock, who you're talking about mainstream media success on Saturday Night Live. You guys already laid it out. But his career in WWE in terms of actually being in the ring consistently was actually relatively short when you compare it to the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. And let me put it this way. This guy crossed over three separate eras. He was world champion in three separate eras. He worked as kind of a babyface. He worked as a pure heel with Marty Jannetty. He worked in the Attitude Era in DX and outside of DX. And he even worked in the new generation with, and I said new generation, that's obviously before the Attitude Era, but in the current generation, uh, you know, retiring Ric Flair, getting retired by The Undertaker in the 2000s. Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, for me, is that number four. It's really, really close between The Rock and John Cena, but for me, it's HBK. I'm going to say this. Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler of all time. I make no secret about that. I think he's the greatest ever. I think Michaels Undertaker, WrestleMania 25, is the greatest wrestling match I've ever seen. I don't think that you can include Shawn Michaels here on this, because... He did have the couple times where he was out for various reasons, whether it was the back injury, whether it was when he lost his smile, a.k.a. he didn't want a job to Brett the Hitman Hart, which is a thing that actually happened, can we remember here? So Michaels, although he's my favorite, he can't be on the list, and I don't even think he's on the short list of consideration. The one name that I think would be six would be The Undertaker, the greatest working big man of all time, the WrestleMania streak, 
I'm not the biggest Undertaker guy, so he didn't make my list, but I think Taker should go above Shawn Michaels. I think we nailed everybody who had an actual legitimate case. To defend the Michaels pick, if you're going to have four and one of them is Vince McMahon, who, who is a little bit more known for you know administrative stuff than, than the in-ring stuff, then having the best worker ever, I'm fine with that. Having Undertaker would have been recognizing essentially the greatest character or the greatest heel character, you know, specific character. That's fine. And I think it's important of Cena. No one's connected with children beyond Hogan like Cena has. That's an argument there. And then I think The Rock, yes, it was a short run, but I think when he came back, that second chapter cemented it. And then you mix that with what he's done in Hollywood and how he came back as a Hollywood star. We're all connected. I do not think we are leaving anybody out who actually has a beef or a case to be on this. So, bro, Ledwell, we promised you a couple weeks ago we would get to you. We did indeed get to you. We let it marinate. We spent some time on it. We think we gave you a great answer. So with that, Silver King, let's move on. DM number two. All right, this one, guys, and if I butcher this name, I'm sorry. You can correct me on Twitter. From Nitish Venkatesh. Uh, Ready? Ready? Go ahead. Nitish Venkatesh. Nitish Venkatesh. All right, that's probably better. That's probably better. Uh, At Nitman Returns, he wants to know, if you guys could start a wrestling promotion today, which wrestler – Currently active, would you pick to build around? Nick, let's start with you. There's only one answer to this question. It's the big dog. The guy. It's Roman Reigns. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. And I'm going to direct this out there. If you're listening right now, and you are one of those clowns, one of those fools that pays money to go out there and boo Roman Reigns, like that jerk on Monday Night Raw with the sign, I came to boo Roman Reigns. Guess what, buddy? You paid to see Roman Reigns. They're working you. You're marking out for the guy. Do you know why? Because he's the biggest star in professional wrestling right now. He said it. He comes out there in the ring with Bray Wyatt on Monday night, and he gets the dueling, let's go Roman, Roman sucks chance, and he goes, that's why I'm the guy. And you know what? He's right. He does not get the credit that he deserves for the in-ring performance. He is a fantastic worker that puts on great matches with people. And I know, Brian, what you're going to say, Silver King, what you're going to say, what other people will say, he bombed the last two WrestleMania main events. I will argue that like Alexa Bliss last week on This Is Your Life, Roman Reigns was set up in a position to fail. WrestleMania 32 against Triple H in the main event. Triple H is not the guy to to bring a good match out of Roman Reigns. And then The Undertaker is 168 years old. No one's going to have a good match with The Undertaker who can barely move around. Reigns draws the most heat. He's a fantastic worker. And I just can't wait for all of you smarks at WrestleMania 34 to cry into your styrofoam cups when Roman Reigns beats Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. I'm already excited for it. Give me Roman Reigns is my number one overall pick, Brian Campbell. So the I'm going to disagree with three points you made. I'm actually going to agree with your pick. It is a no-brainer. I'm going to disagree where you said anybody would get mad at you. No, this is a no-brainer. You look at Roman's age at 31 because, of, you know, when you, if you're going to start a promotion, you're not going to start it with 40-year-old AJ Styles as much as we love him. You're not going to start it with some of these guys who still can do it 35, 36. You got to go younger. And if you really look around, there's not a lot of studs in their 20s right now at WWE. I'm also going to say... I agree with your rant. I just think that's 2016's rant. I actually think we're past that. We all recognize and accept that Roman is a top stud, arguably the best in the entire company. And then number three, he didn't fail at WrestleMania. I don't think people actually realize that. I think people now 
realize that the hate actually goes back to the 2015 Rumble and it goes back to booking. It goes back to Daniel Bryan being eliminated too early. All of that. I actually think he's beyond that. Yes, it's fun and games to boo him, but I think people are beyond that. He is the only answer that makes sense. Yes, you could argue Seth Rollins. The problem is Seth Rollins doesn't have the charisma. He's not going to be what? the face of the company. He's going to be an incredible worker who can do big things for many years and has. he's a poor man, Shawn Michaels, a poor man, Savage, all that. The only other pick, and this probably violates the question because you said it natish if you said if you're starting a wrestling promotion today which wrestler so this violates that question the only other pick i'd start a company with is paul Heyman, and mm. at age 51 he's still got a long road ahead of him and we know he's got the track record of being in charge yes it'll probably kill him at this age to be in charge and to, and to, to start a new promotion and go head to head with a big one like the wwe but he is more valuable than any single wrestler or entity where if I had the choice of starting a promotion from scratch with him or using Roman Reigns or Rollins, I'm going to pick Paul Heyman. Wait, wait, guys, hold on. Seth Rollins doesn't have charisma and Roman... Not as a face. And, and Ro- Not as a face. Okay. Oh, he doesn't oh. have the charisma oh. to, to be the face of a company, Se- no. He's he, right. uh, excuse me, he's going to be the face of the company. He doesn't have to be a baby face face of the company. L- let, me put, let me make this very clear. Nick... Amazing point about Roman Reigns. Brian, great point that, yes, we all know Roman is a great worker. He's amazing in the ring. I know it, Nick. Also, Undertaker's fall to WrestleMania, yes. These are all known quantities. And if you ask me, who do I want in the ring, maybe, to be the guy? Yeah, it's going to be Roman Reigns. But who do I want to build a promotion around? I need a guy who can talk on the mic. And Roman Reigns cannot talk on the mic. There's a Of course lo- he can talk on the no, mic. No, he can't. There, about? There's a lot of really good choices here. But for me, I'm looking for the entire package. I'm looking for a guy who's charismatic, who's great in the ring, and who's young. And guess who it is, Brian? It's Seth freaking Rollins. Yeah, I hey, think one it's- one com one counter comment to that. Why Roman Reigns is so great right now, and by the way, I just voted for him number one in our power rankings that we do each week, it's because they're actually limiting his dialogue. And I think you saw that this week when he came out and punched Bray Wyatt in the mouth, delivered one line and got right to it. They are finding out how to make him the best he can be. That's yeah, yeah, they are. You're right. But if you're starting a promotion, which is what this great question is about, you need someone who can talk, who can sell the show, who can sell any single segment that he's in. And maybe Rollins can't do that, but he can sure as hell do it a lot better than Roman Reigns. Guys, we got it. We got to go. Oh, to no, wait, wait, hold on, hold on here, Silver King, because you don't get to get away unimpeded here with, with, the, <laughs> with the garbage that you just came out with. First, first, Silver King runs through his whole points and goes, well, maybe he can't do all of the things that I just said. No, you're right. He can't. You picked <laughs> Seth freaking Rollins. You know what that was? A bad freaking pick. And you know what happened to your promotion if you did that and you picked Rollins number one? It would freaking fold within six freaking months. Next DM question. <laughs> All right. We got Prestige TV, who has been a very frequent tweeter of me, at least, at Prestige TV Pod. guess he has a podcast about television, so let's put him over there real quick. He wants to know if there's going to be another legitimate big-time boom period in WWE in our lifetime. And if so... What would actually need to happen to get that done? Brian, let's start with you on that. Uh, Will there be another boom period in our lifetime? Yeah. Cyclically, it would make sense. It's not, I mean, it wouldn't be a betting favorite to do that because you'd have to basically predict that either WWE probably post Vince or the business in general would go to such a decline where it would open room for a true competitor to make a run and actually, you know, force that. So I don't 
Do I think it'll happen? The odds are no, but look, it's cyclical. Eventually, somebody will figure something out. So the real question is here is what are the three things you need? Number one, you need competition. Without a doubt, you need competition. We've talked about this in the past. The only time WWE amps it up outside of ahead of SummerSlam and arguably the Royal Rumble and definitely Mania when they're trying to pull in crossover fans, the only time they ramp up their creative is when the ratings force them to. So you need competition to force you to ramp up and put out your best product. And I think as much as we all love WWE, we agree. They do not put their best foot forward every week for different reasons. Some out of pride, some out of stubbornness, some out of, you know, different reasons. They don't need to, whatever. Number two, you need edge. I don't think you need to go full on, you know, attitude era rated R product, but I have doubts that a real PG product could create another boom like it did in the 80s, which was a different time, a different place, a different way society lived. Everything was different. I think you need more edge. I think you need to bring back blood. I think you need to do some things. You can argue with me. That's what I think. And number three, what do we need to, to, to create another boom period? Well, you need real stars. And one thing WWE right now is not doing is not creating real crossover superstars like The Rock, like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I know you're going to say, well, there's not a formula to do that. There's not a factory that can just put out an assembly line of these guys. Well, you have to allow people to win over a long stretch of time. And as much as we complain about Roman Reigns kicking out of everybody's finishing move, that's actually a success for them. They are building someone in Roman Reigns that they can go put on the Today Show and Saturday Night Live eventually who has a track record of not losing over a long period of time. When CM Punk held the belt for a year, that helped him have that much of an impact where for a short period he was bigger than the business. You need guys that are bigger than the business and you can't get there with 50-50 booking. Quote the Campbell, nevermore. For me, that was a fantastic rant, and I love the ending of it. A little homage to our friend Scott Levy, Raven. That was pretty nice. Um, For me, I'm going to answer this question the same way that we talk about real estate, right? What's great with real estate? Location, location, location. The answer to this question, three answers, only one thing. Competition, competition, competition. There will never be another boom unless a realistic competitor to the WWE empire emerges. That's all I got. That's the answer to the question. Nothing more to say. All right, guys. Number four here comes from hashtag NWO for Hall of Fame at DMIDI78. I will say we have a lot more Australian fans than I thought. I just found out MIDI is from Australia, and there's been like three or four guys that have tweeted us recently. So I know WWE is big there, but so is hashtag in this corner on Twitter and this podcast. MIDI wants to know. Actually, he puts himself over. MIDI is the man, he says. When should I expect the phone call to join you guys on the podcast? I can be your Australian correspondent. Mitty out. Nick, when's he going to join the podcast? Never. Mitty will <laughs> never be on the podcast, buddy, because this is like CM Punk talking to Johnny Bananas. You're a fan, bro. Just sit back and enjoy the product. You're not a part of it. You are a fan. But you know what? We will honor you, D. Mitty. You know how we'll do that? We'll put another shrimp on the barbie for you, buddy. How about that? <laughs> hey, one thing, D. Mitty, and all of our Australian listeners, and we have a lot, they're spending a lot of time jumping into my DMs, which is great, and I appreciate it, and it fuels the DM segment on this show. But maybe you should spend a little more time jumping in Peyton Ross's DMs. Talk about talk about a shrimp on the mm-hmm. barbie from Australia, right? I mean, come on. That's Can a, we have the conversation? Or? No, I mean, I, I mean, we can't have that conversation, but I think it's probably better suited to have off the air. And, Bri, that wraps up our sliding into the DM segment again at B. Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam. I am at, at the Costos. Bri, we are debuting a new segment right now. This is your brainchild. These are your ideas. So I turn the baton over to you, good sir. Look, the B-cams, the BC, the TBC, a little off-kilter at times. I'm not afraid to be, though. I got theories. I've got conspiracies. I've got beliefs that I have. 
a new segment this week called Call Me Crazy. I'll prevent some, present some provocative thoughts designed to challenge your status quo. In the end, Nick and Silver King, just tell me if I'm crazy. Number one, call me crazy here, guys. I've really been thinking about this every week when we complain about Bray Wyatt, the way that he's booked, the way that even this week, he starts off with a really good promo to kick off Raw and then goes into a half-hour match where he once again loses cleanly, this time to Roman Reigns. So it got me thinking, call me crazy here, but Bray Wyatt's character might not actually be mismanaged as we, the fans, constantly cry about on social media. But the reality is, he's a bully heel. And a bully heel's actual job is to do what? Draw heat and lose to big-name babyfaces every single time, which is what he does every single time. So I'm usually fighting the battle of no WWE. I believe in Bray Wyatt. He's better than this. He needs to be a star. And what their booking is actually telling us is he's a bully heel. He's doing your job. Call me crazy. All right, this is not meant to be a political statement, and it really is not, but I have to draw this analogy here. It's the first thing that came to mind. When President Trump gets up there and says stuff that people know he doesn't believe, and he says it with such conviction, people call him crazy. That is what you just did, Brian Campbell, because you don't believe what you just said. Like You don't believe that Bray Wyatt's being booked properly. I know this because I know you, and because I'm part of the podcast, and because I listen back to it every week. Of course you're insane. He's being booked horrendously. We have covered this in painstaking. Brian, I asked you before if you were feeling okay. Are you good, buddy? Of course <laughs> you're crazy, because you don't believe the words that just came out of your own mouth. He's booked in atrocious manner. Come on. I don't have much to add to that, but yeah, you are crazy, and you know who else is a bully heel who wins matches and holds titles and does great promos that we all understand? Kevin Owens. Wow, well said. Hey, guys, number two, call me crazy here, but hey, I watched SmackDown this week. Jinder Mahal, very quietly. Guys, he's getting better and better. Every week, he's getting better and better. This week, I really had nothing to nitpick outside of the pre-established limitations, which we've already talked about, of what he can't do in the ring and what he can't do on the mic. I thought they hid those to a great deal. So my call me crazy here is Jinder Mahal getting better every week. No, you are most certainly not crazy. You actually on this one are quite sane, my friend. On a, on a past edition of the show, I talked about there being a big difference between becoming and being, right? And oftentimes, becoming is more fun than being, right? Like when you look at, I always go back to the Matrix movies, right? The first Matrix movie is the best because that's Keanu Reeves becoming Neo and the second two, he is Neo. It's not as fun. The first one when he's becoming is a lot more fun. This is the exact opposite. I'm enjoying gender being WWE champion more than I enjoyed the month-long journey of him getting set to become WWE champion. And I think that's a credit to A, him personally, and B, how they've booked him. His entrance is spectacular. The Singh brothers get their own entrance first. They stand out there. One talks in Punjabi. The other talks in English. They bring Jinder out. A little nice touch for the heel is that Jinder doesn't even acknowledge the fact that they exist. He just walks right past and doesn't even look at them. I love that. I loved him having the scarf covering his face when he first came out this week. Very sinister. You know, they're obviously playing to a lot of xenophobic stuff with the United States, so I really liked that. He come out. He went over Mojo Rawley, which was a nice bow on that feud that they had at WrestleMania with the whole Rob Gronkowski thing, so I thought that was nice good post-match promo you're not crazy bry you're 100 right jinder mahal is getting better and his work as champion has been better than his work leading up to being champion almost everything nick said is correct the presentation and booking of jinder mahal is better you said is jinder mahal quietly getting better no he is not we saw it in a 
four-minute match with Mojo Rawley. There's a reason he's only fighting four minutes, and he was behind most of that match. And we heard it on the mic where he gave another extremely short promo that didn't make much sense, didn't add heel heat. Basically, He got heat. He got heat, but it didn't get more heat. Like, Samojo added heat on Raw. Jinder just kind of kept his level of heat that he already has. So, yeah, but Jinder's not Joe. No, he's No one not, thinks that. No, he's not. But is Jinder Mahal getting better? No, I think SmackDown's booking of him is getting better. Very fair distinction here. Number three and the final one on this week's Call Me Crazy. Guys, a debate I always like to have. I'm a history nut. MVP of a decade in pro wrestling history. You look back, these a lot of these are easy calls, right? 1980s, Hulk Hogan all the way. Yeah, you can say Flair. No, Hogan, the MVP of the 80s. I think John Cena, MVP of the 2000s. Easy choices there. Call me crazy here, though. For as knee-jerk of a reaction as it might feel if somebody asks you who's the MVP of the 90s to say, oh, well, that's Bret Hart, or no, that's Shawn Michaels. No, it's definitely Stone Cold. No, actually, I think it's The Rock. Leading candidates, not bad, MVP of the 90s. Call me crazy. But you know who actually deserves just as much consideration, if not more? Hulk Hogan. Yes. And let me put it to you like this. 90 through 93, what did he do? Main event WrestleMania four years in a row for the top company. 94 and 95, what did he do? Main event, everything WCW had. Was it awful? Yes, but the business was awful in 94 and 95. 96, revolutionizes the industry historically by becoming the face of of the greatest faction of all time, the greatest turn of all time, the NWO, and also launching the greatest second half, second act in anybody's wrestling career, and then finishing out that decade on top doing that gimmick. Call me crazy, Hogan's got a strong case for for 90s MVP. Come on. I am going to call you crazy here. And I know you're a historian. I love you, bud. I consider myself to be a wrestling historian as well. And that's why I think you and I have always gotten along so well, because we both love the business and we've both been watching our entire lives. So this is all off the top of my head here, right? So let's run through it. You said he main evented the four WrestleManias, right? 1990 WrestleMania six. I'll give you that. Tore the house down against the Ultimate Warrior. Did the maybe the one time in his entire career before his WWE second act when he came back as a babyface where he actually did the right thing as far as business is concerned. It didn't put himself over in outrageously selfish and egomaniacal fashion when he put the Warrior over. So we give him full props for that. WrestleMania 7 against Sergeant Slaughter was a complete and utter train wreck. They go with the, the Persian Gulf deal there. The, stole was, the show was stolen by Warrior and Savage. That gets no marks for me. WrestleMania 8, it should have been Hogan versus Flair, but egos get in the way there as they always do with Hulk Hogan. Instead, you get a brutal match against Sid that's meant to showcase the return of the Ultimate Warrior. And by the way, just like at WrestleMania 4, when it was supposed to be Savage's moment, Hogan stole the spotlight from the Ultimate Warrior. And then you have WrestleMania 9 which is arguably the worst WrestleMania ever, where Hogan's ego is so out of control that he's got to come in, not just in a tag team championship match earlier in the show where he doesn't lose clean because God forbid Hulk Hogan puts someone over clean, where he has to come in after Bret Hart is lost to Yokozuna by getting salt thrown in his eyes. Yokozuna didn't even hit him with a move. Fuji throws the salt in his eyes and Yokozuna pins him and Hogan has to come out and steal the moment and Vince was so pissed about that that he put Yokozuna over Hogan, a King of the Ring 93, using Hogan's own leg drop. So I'm going to throw that the early 90s argument out against you there. The one thing that Hogan did do, and it can't be taken away from him, is spearheaded the NWO. And that cannot be overstated the importance of that. So I'm going to move past that. You're 100% right about that. But the late 90s WCW, 
train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. He put Goldberg over on Nitro, which was the one good thing that he did, and he was also a central figure in what I consider to be the watershed moment of the Monday Night Wars, which was the finger poke of doom against Kevin Nash when they revealed the results of Mankind Against the Rock on Raw, and that's going to put asses in the seats. You know what it did? It made people turn the, turn the channel and watch Monday Night Raw, and that was the death knell for WCW because Hulk Hogan's ego kept getting in the way. The main of the 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 MVP of the '90s is Stone Cold Steve Austin because he came out there, he brought it in the ring each and every night, and without him, there is no Monday Night War, there is no Attitude Era, and like if the Germans had won World War II and we'd all be speaking German right now, if there's no Stone Cold Steve Austin, maybe we're all watching WCW right now and the product's not as good. A, a, a fiery uh, argument, interesting. Two important points though. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? You say without Steve Austin, we don't have the Attitude Era. Yeah, true, but also false. Without Hulk Hogan spearheading WCW as the face and creating real competition in the marketplace and then being a part of the most important gimmick of all time, we do not have an Attitude Era. So that's number one. And number two, it's easy to say, oh, Hogan was so selfish at, at WrestleMania 993 that he couldn't keep himself from the main event. Was it really that? Or was it Vince realizing that Bret Hart as the number one guy really wasn't going to work and wasn't going to sell moving forward. So just in case, break glass in case of emergency, even though he's got a scar over his eye from a boating accident, we're going to pull Hogan back from stage left and put him right in front of the camera. That's all I have to say to that. It's obviously Stone Cold Steve Austin since I had the final word on it. I guess I'll just put myself over a little bit. You made, you. by the way, you were right with what you said, chicken before the egg. Without the NWO, maybe there's no Stone Cold Steve Austin. But for me, Austin was the key figure of the Monday Night Wars because WWF won. The, the the winners usually write the history books, so it's got to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, Brian, you have you were crazy. Two out of the three questions that you asked, my friend, insane on only one of them. And that brings us to the close of the show where we talk about what hit us in the feel spot this week. And, guys, we haven't said it yet. This was a good week for WWE. We all liked Extreme Rules. Monday Night Raw was excellent. SmackDown was not as good as Raw for the first time in a while, but SmackDown was still pretty good. So, Positive marks to WWE for the week that was. Brian Campbell, what uh, tickled the old feel spot for you this week? Yeah, real quick here. You know I'm a protector of all things 205 and cruiserweights because, look, that division pound for pound has the best workers in it. Com compare, let's say that show. Let's say that show compared to any other show, the best in-ring work in the company pound for pound is going on there. And the launch of this Neville TJ Perkins feud, which is also launching on Raw, it fed into Tuesday night's 205 Live main event where Neville defended the title, submitted TJP. The whole build, I tweeted out that this was appointment viewing, and I feel like it was. They have me hooked. These guys had teased a feud for a while, of course, teaming up together to take Austin Aries out of it. Well, now TJP's got his moment. The match was great. The feud is going to be great. Feel spot activated for me because it's pure, great wrestling. And 205 Live is a hit or miss for certain people. For me, it's always a, a hit because I look, I just love when two top end guys can get in there and work, and these two guys can. Brian, I agree with you. I loved the Neville TJP stuff. I loved it on Raw. I love the continuation of that storyline. Love the match on 205 Live. Uh, Silver King, your feel spot for the week was activated by what? Nick, you mentioned Raw and SmackDown already. For me, we're going back last week because we taped this on Wednesdays before NXT. I really enjoyed NXT this past week. And you know who really stood out? Tommaso Ciampa. He opened the show in the ring, gave a, it seemed to me a little bit of a work shoot promo about his attack on Johnny Gargano. And he put himself over in such a major way. It was a really long segment. It actually lasted a lot longer than I thought. There wasn't even an interruption. But it allowed him to completely get over as a pure 
badass heel. He talked about the fans turning on him after Gargano got injured. He did, They did. Uh, he was a total badass on the mic. I already said that. He has a great look. We already know he's great in the ring. And guys, when he comes off this ACL injury, you know, it's six to eight months. It's going to take him a while to get back. I don't think he's going to be returning to NXT. I think he's going straight to the main roster. I think he's going to be on 205 Live. And Neville will probably have lost the title by then. Maybe he'll win it back by then. But you're talking about a guy who's going to be a main eventer in the cruiserweight division right off the bat and a really, really solid heel that that division badly needs. That was my feel spot this week. There were a lot of them. There were four or five. We talked about him in the rest of the show. But that's the one that did not get mentioned. I'll be super quick with mine here because we've already referenced it. And obviously the Joe Heyman thing was the best thing. And that was the feel spot, but we covered that in detail already. And I think we did mention the fashion files already this week, but this is a winner for me almost each and every week. And it actually makes me laugh out loud. Right. And if you're a wrestling historian or you've been watching for a long time, the best thing that they do is not necessarily the witty byplay between Fandango and Tyler Breeze. It wasn't even the introduction of the new day, which I thought worked very well this week. It's the bulletin board. And the pictures that they have up there, and to me, the one that really made me laugh was the Billy Kidman thing, where they said, I think, are you trying to dress like a kid, dot, 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 man, question mark. Like, only, like, people that have been watching for a long time would be able to get something like that. Like, that's a nod to the smart fan right there, and I consider myself to be one of those fans. I laughed out loud when I saw the uh, the Kidman on the bulletin board. There are a couple other funny ones that are escaping me at the moment, but uh, that segment is a winner for me each and every week, and I'm happy that they're still giving Fandango and Tyler Breeze that opportunity, even though they are now out of the tag team title picture with the New Day as the challengers and the Usos, of course, continuing as the champions. And guys, that wraps up a sensational edition of In This Corner with Brian Campbell. BC, what do you got for us here before we uh, close the I show? I was just going to say, just to back what you up on that, there, there was times when the list of Jericho was arguably the most over thing on Raw. That bulletin board on Fashion Files is becoming the most over thing on SmackDown. And I just got to give a shout out to hashtag, you know, the real last name of, of Roman Reigns in the, in the U.S. So that was Wood. what it was, the annoying, right? Hashtag yes, I totally annoying. forgot about that. Genius, right? And they ripped on uh, Tony Chimmel again with the hashtag waistline, W-A-I-S-T. Just <laughs> genius stuff. A lot of throwback shout-outs in there. Love, love, love. And I look, Campbell embarrassed me a couple times. I thought I got him and called me crazy, but he beat me in Hero Zero, and he just gave he explained my feel spot better than I did because I forgot about those couple things that were both really funny. So great job by Brian Campbell. And BC, before we wrap this up here, hit us with what else you've got coming up this week in this corner with Brian Campbell, plug the boxing thing again, talk about whatever you've got in MMA as well for the fans to look forward to. Yeah, we got a really good interview with light heavyweight champion Andre Ward on our boxing podcast, Rafe Bartholomew and I catching you up on the boxing news two weeks out of that Ward Kovalev rematch June 17th. Also, of course, like we mentioned, check out our Monday Extreme Rules recap. It's that instant analysis edition. You want three passionate males after midnight on the East Coast, you listen to that. How's that for a sell job? That was a pretty good sell job. It actually made me a little queasy when you said it, but still good stuff all around. Be sure to tune into all those editions of In This Corner with Brian Campbell. You have just listened to the WWE edition. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos, now 34 years old. Happy birthday to me. BC, take us out with two words for the audience. We out. <laughs>